the behavior of interacting in that social way online is completely entrenched. And I really wanted to create a something that felt really familiar, whether you use Instagram every day, YouTube or Facebook, I wanted to create that user experience for my fans. So I couldn't find it and I, so I went out and built it. Today's guest is Benji Vaughan, CEO and founder of Disciple Media. And he's explaining why actually friction is exactly what we want in this particular technology offering, almost the opposite of what we preach. This is Tech Talks, your twice weekly dose of technology with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group. We're talking to leaders from across the industry and bringing you a little bit of tech news. Joining me on today's podcast, I've got a quiche. Apologies for any um, unusual or different background noises. I've decided to record in the garden. We're not going to get you hay fever sniffles this week, no? You know what? I've discovered something that I hadn't used. Uh, I've started using a nasal spray, and it is revolutionary. Beautiful. Beautiful. I've only ever taken tablets. I'm now taking a tablet and and, a nasal spray. This is very boring chat. But um, (laughs) ah, I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better. Good. Good. How how are you feeling after Edgebaston on Friday? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I've recovered. My... um, my vocal cords are back, or at least my, my voice is back. Uh, a lot of drunken shouting, as you can probably imagine, on Friday. Um, How was it being in a, in a large crowd at a sporting event again? Oh, it was beautiful. It was, I mean, we had, we sung everything from Hey Jude to Oasis to Vindaloo to It's Coming Home to <laughs> some cricket songs <laughs> like some I mean, cricket songs at the cricket some maybe cricket song, yeah some cricket songs uh you know ch- just jeering on some of the um new zealand players as they walk past just giving it that who are ya who are ya uh but yeah it's very very good <laughs> it's decent it's very very decent beautiful mm. um for anyone who doesn't know akish has another podcast mm. You're looking at me like, why am I bringing this up? <laughs> yeah, why? why? <laughs> Where are you going with this? There's reason. There's a reason. What's your podcast called? It's called Big Swing No Ding. Yeah, and it's a podcast all about cricket. And yeah. in the last few years, niche podcasts, not that cricket is that niche, but niche podcasts. Mm. So um, podcasts of particular football clubs, for example, have started setting up their own small communities of paying customers because what a lot of people have discovered is where you've got a real loyal or um uh engaged following actually there is a lot of value to be to be gained from that as the Mm. content creators and today's podcast is with disciple media's uh ceo founder benji uh who's going to tell us exactly why so we'll hand over to that podcast and we'll come back with some commentary afterwards Today, I'm chatting to Benji Vaughan. Uh, Benji, you are behind the company Disciple Media. Before I make a mistake, let us let me check in with you first exactly what your job title is. Uh, my exact job title is CEO and founder of Disciple. Um, yes, that is my exact job title today. And you launched in 2018. Uh, you've now got close to 2 million members. You grew, and forgive me if this stat's wrong if it is correct me but grew by around 160 percent in the in last year that is correct yeah so had a very successful 2020 
which may well tell us a little bit about the kind of stuff that you're doing and I suppose connecting to audiences. But first of all, why don't you tell us what Disciple Media do? Um, we, I think the simplest way to describe Disciple is, is um, what Shopify is to Amazon, we are to Facebook. So we are creating the tools to enable online creators, online entrepreneurs, organizations to take all that that they've experienced on social media in terms in terms of the value it can create and and build that environment themselves create their own social network their own community we are a provider of tools we're not a hoarder of data so we create the tools that allows an online creator or an entrepreneur to build a fully fledged online platform that is at its heart a community platform that allows you, if you wish to, to monetize a relationship with a membership, sell content, and create basically the foundation or the epicenter of your online business um, in, a, in a completely different model to the way social media is being run today. We give you the tools to build your own network. Uh, we have a relationship with you where we charge you for those tools, but all the value you generate and all the data you generate off that uh, network you create is yours. How did this idea come about? Why why did you decide that what was out there wasn't serving this particular type of niche? And as you said, um, you know, the 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 Shopify to Amazon, you know, what what you want to be to Facebook. Why did that not exist? So I've been um building communities of a very particular sort all my life, all my adult life, because before I started Disciple, I worked in the music industry. I was a artist, a producer, and a partner at a very niche, independent UK record label. Um, and I'd spent 15, 20 years building a relationship up with an audience. To me, musicians are what they're sort of, in many ways, the original creators. Um, and everything I see in the creator world today seems very familiar to me because of my life running an independent record label. We built this audience with a fan base, with an audience who, sh over the years, connected a great deal with each other and shared a great deal more in common with each other than just our music. We were the catalyst that brought them together. Once they came together, they realized all these commonalities they had with each other, clothes they liked to wear, places they liked to travel, other music they loved, culture they loved. And it was very, very particular to that audience. Um, we had grown phenomenally through Facebook during kind of 2005 to about 2015. But by 2015, I really felt the thing I really want to do now is I want to create a space for this culture to really ferment and grow and create a better place for them to have a place that's unique to them. And I presumed in my ignorance that I'd go online and I'd find loads of tools that would allow me to build such a platform to let that culture ferment and create a great place for our not just for our fans, it's to create a place where their cult they could explore their culture and build something really meaningful. And I thought it would be good for our business as well. And I was really surprised when I looked at what um, options I had available to realize that goal, um, that they were basically the same tools that existed in the world prior to Facebook. It was email mailing lists and forums. And to me, those it was clear those would never work because the world is now completely uh, the behavior of interacting in that social way online is completely entrenched. And I really wanted to create a 
something that felt really familiar, whether you use Instagram every day, YouTube or Facebook, I wanted to create that user experience for my fans. So I couldn't find it. And I, so I went out and built it. And sorry, forgive me if this is one of the most stupid questions, but it's, it's, it's not a plug into an existing social media. It's not something where you kind of have a private group. It is, it is something entirely separate. It is entirely separate and unique to you as the owner of that, that community or business. Is this part of then that wider movement away from these big public social networks towards private groups that we're seeing? And I suppose fueled a little bit as well by privacy uh, around data and around people Absolutely. kind of wanting to be a little bit more in control of their presence online? Yeah, I mean, I remember only two years ago listening to a lot of podcasts um, talking about the, the tech environment generally. And it it felt like everyone had decided that how we engage with each other in a communal basis online as a category of business was was over it the winner had been decided it was facebook and nothing would ever change so let's go and find other things to do online and it's amazing how quickly that's changed over the last two years and it's now um the notion that we all want to spend the rest of our lives online communicating with each other and building tribes and cultures and communities on one single platform already seems uh, an anachronism. Um, there are millions of entrepreneurs and businesses over, around the world who are seeing if they can take that, what I call social capital they've built up, bring it into an environment they own and control, they can create huge value for themselves. The one thing, and this might be one of the most stupid questions, but the one thing that I've always kind of wonders about stuff like this mm -hmm. is that you do have that massive social capital on something that's quite public facing like Instagram or TikTok say, mm -hmm. right? And then getting those followers on those platforms is hard enough on understanding the algorithm. Getting them then to, to jump to another platform with you must be quite a challenge, no? It is a challenge. And the metrics you're looking for as the owner of a community need to be very different from the metrics you look at as the owner of a Facebook page or an Instagram account. You're not looking for reach and eyeballs. You're looking for a far, typically a smaller audience, but a far deeper and more valuable audience on a per member basis in terms of time they're going to spend to you. Uh, to give you an example of one of Disciples customers, I won't give a name, but they are a US business. Um, they sell um clothing for fitness yoga clothes things like that and they do it on a drop shipping basis um like a company like supreme they have never had any shops uh they got their initial customers through pages like in facebook pages instagram pages advertising built up an audience through that and then funnel that into a facebook group um and now they funnel that down into their community that they own and control the online audience to the audience they have in their own community is about a four to one ratio. So I think they have a hundred thousand regular people on um, Facebook on their Facebook group and across Instagram and uh, Facebook pages. And they have about 25,000 in their own community, but the community generates four times more revenue because they can access it. They have total reach over it. They own the data. So they understand it much, much better. Um, and it's more highly engaged. And as part part of that friction of going to the new uh, platform ends up as a filtration process where you only get the really true, valuable 
members in your community, which is ultimately what we need today. It's not about building up eyeballs. It's about building relationships with people which are truly valuable, not just advertising units. So I think the thing that I find quite interesting about this is, is I get it from a from a niche creator point of view and, and talking about um, you know a passion powered by passion it makes total sense if you're dealing with a, a creative like an author mm-hmm. um, someone who's creating music you know you, you mentioned your background and I note uh, one of your first clients was the Rolling Stones mm. sent through by uh, by a PR company and I can tell you understand they've got fans they've got people who love them mm-hmm. and yet you've grown with corporate businesses. And for me, I would imagine that they are looking for eyeballs because quite frankly, who is going to love a financial institution? So how does that work? Yeah, I mean, we have about 550, 600 clients there, only a very small number, probably 10 or 20 would I describe as corporate customers. But we work, for example, we work with a UK bank. Um, They have a cohort within their customer base which is about 50,000 strong which is high net worth individuals Um, and they believe there is a lot of value in bringing those 50,000 people together and letting them network in a very trusted environment where the data is absolutely contained within the bank is not going off to a third-party platform and they believed it's a huge value add to their to their clients and it's proved to be the case Um, but most of our customers are typically smaller businesses, five to 20 employees, and they're truly serving a key passion point in somebody's lives, whether it's you're a band and your fans adore you or whether you're really helping a group of people who have a particular health problem live healthier lives um, or whether you're helping a group of people live fitter lives through a, a yoga group is is our typical kind of customer base. So... I suppose the traditional influencer, it's kind of very much this idea that you've got to get lots of content out there. You've got to be in people's faces. You've got to be in people's feeds, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But you've got some really interesting metrics around the amount of time that you are able to capture someone's attention, how engaged they are, looking at the percentage of users who still use an app for 30 days after it's installed, Mm -hmm. more than six times higher than the average. are the ways that that, that your that your creators are, are are interacting with their communities therefore subtly different? Because I suppose if it's a real passion project, you know, people are going to be far more interested. And this again might be total assumption, but but quality over quantity, they're not going to be interested it's, in it's putting exactly out lots that. of stuff. It's a quality over quantity, and some of our most successful hosts, our customers who host a community, have communities of five hundred to a thousand people. So it goes by, I don't know if you've ever heard of, heard of the book, A Thousand True Fans. It was written about 10, 15 years ago. And it was about the notion that in the future, people will be able to have very valuable businesses based on a thousand true fans. The internet came along or social media came along and kind of killed that notion because it flattened out the depth of engagement any one audience member could have with the creator of content because you were just an eyeball for advertising. Um, but the what's changing rapidly through products like Disciple or core software like Kajabi or a mailing list product like Substack is you can choose how much you want to charge for access to your knowledge, your content, your community. And it's up to you to decide what is the value exchange you can have with a single member and what you're going to charge. But, you know, we have some 
member, some hosts who charge nothing to be a member of a community. They make their values uh, through some ancillary service. We have some who charge three ninety nine. We have some who charge over a thousand pounds a year. Um, so it's it's creating a much more rich and diverse set of businesses. Uh, this new wave of the creator economy. It's not a one size fits all approach, which it has been, because all creators basically had to fit into the principles and monetization mechanisms of Facebook and Google. That was it. So you you referenced that a couple of years ago, lots of podcasts were saying it's Facebook. Now we've seen this trend towards social media that's smaller, connected, niche online communities. Again, if we kind of think of something like the success of of, of Clubhouse in recent mm-hmm. times. I actually found, I went on Clubhouse once and I found it incredibly annoying. I just found it too noisy and too messy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I, I'm probably I'm probably just a bit of a Luddite in, in that regard. But where do you see us going? And and I don't want you to kind of make the same mistake that people were making two years ago, obviously, but what's, what's the trend here? Well, I think the trend that I see is in um, today or certainly two, three years ago, if you were sitting in the pub and you randomly grabbed 10 people's smartphones off them and put them on a table and miraculously were able to unlock all 10 screens, you'd kind of see the same home screen on every phone. In 10 years' time, that will not be the case. When you look at that person's home screen, it will clearly give you a picture of who that individual is, what it is that, where they work possibly, what guides them in life, what are their true passions. It'll tell you a lot more about the character and um and passions of that individual because i think at the time of both consumers and businesses wanting to be aggregated in single platforms is over and there's so many tools appearing to aid a more decentralized world um whether it's simplified tools for building products or things like blockchain it seems inherent it seems to me obvious that that is the is the way the world's moving so what's next for disciple i mean we're we're beginning to come out of this year where we we've all been kept apart um does that mean a slight pivot or do you continue as as, as it's been going obviously that growth of 160 percent suggests that you're on the right path so yeah it must be tempting just to carry on as you are i think um we got a little bit of a, a, a boost from covid and a ton of different types of organization or uh, community deciding we can't meet in person now so we need to go online um but I think it's maybe just accelerated something that was coming anyway. So when I look around the creator economy more broadly and I look at the broader ecosystem of companies involved in this new creator economy, um, I think there's it's I think there's going to be massive growth in the coming years as as creators and and entrepreneurs start to realize that there's these tools out there that, and that are cheap very quick to get running. And if you stitch them together, you ha- you can create whatever business you want to create, as long as you have something the world wants by stitching together, whether it's Shopify with Kajabi and Disciple or Substack, there's just this incredible uh, toolkit you have available to create really profitable businesses that can be shaped around the business model that suits you. And that was not the case five years ago. And I think that, that uh, enormous change in our economy has started it's been accelerated by covid but if we a statistic i saw recently was that there's 50 million online creators in the world today 2 million do it professionally 
And today in the United States, the creator economy is the fastest growing section of the uh, of the economy. Um, so if someone is a creator or they work for a small business and they want to harness the power of that community, how would they find out a little bit more? Um, the first thing I think you need to do if you're a creator or a small business is think what are we trying what you know what is the core value proposition i can offer people online if one of those value propositions you think you have as a business is that you can bring a group of people who have a shared passion together and by those people connecting with each other you're going to enrich their lives then you've got a great chance of having a great community-based business and reach out to cyber media and we might be able to help you Thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I understand there is a storm raging around, so I'm glad that it hasn't knocked your internet out during the course of uh, <laughs> during the course of this interview. Uh, but thanks for your time, and good luck as the year continues. Thank you very much, David. Bye. Right. What I like about this is that um, all the way through Tech Talks for the last two years, three years, we've been talking about the fact that technology and technology offerings are all about removing friction. It's about removing friction. That's what helps. And here we've got someone who actually technology is adding friction and the friction that they are adding is absolutely welcome and key to why it works. Yeah, 100%. And I, and I think the just what they're offering as a, as a platform and a service to these communities to say it's completely different. This is how you build your following. Um, and I think you alluded to kind of disrupting, you know, the, the kind of social media side of the internet where it's mm. not just about Facebook, it's not just about Instagram. There's other things that small communities or, or people yeah. know, with um, kind of niches can do. Um, and I think as, it's as great. he says, what, what, what Shopify is to Amazon, we are to Facebook. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think, um, yeah, proper good, proper good idea. Yeah, it's that point that, if someone is really genuinely interested in what you have to offer or are saying, you can get them to invest the time in downloading something new, signing up to something. You know, if you genuinely want that information, you're gonna you're gonna take the extra steps to 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 pay for it. To you know, go out your way to not just go to the big sites and get something a little bit more specialized. And if I think about it, like on my phone, I don't pay a lot, but I pay a pound a month for a subscription to The Athletic because I really like the podcasts that they produce, the articles. I think the football stuff's interesting. They've got a lot of videos. I know the videos are free on YouTube as well, but access to all of TIFO football's videos and tactics explainers and whatever else. Mm. And you know, all right, I'm not just going to one of the big aggregated kind of news sites or I'm not going to one of the newspapers that I would normally read. I'm going to a specialist site, but I'm prepared to pay a little bit extra to have access to that content because it's stuff that I'm interested in. Yeah, 100%. And I'm the same. I've got this, I've got a similar type of stuff and I'm also a massive Man United supporter. And there's a there's a there's um, an organisation called the Stretford Paddock, which obviously does Stretford end. Um, they launch you know uh, their kind of content site or app and again it's just you know very specific news for manchester united fans supporters gossip um <clears throat> a lot of the kind of fan forum things um but then you also get invited to you know meetups and well back in the day before covid and public gatherings were, were kind of you know uh, allowed 
you you get a, a new insight almost into a different way of reading news, picking up news, articles, that sort of thing. I personally mm. reckon, I think those that subscribe to it, so you with The Athletic, me to something like this, we subscribe to these things because they speak our language or they speak our, uh, you know, from our point of view almost. So if I was to, you know, read about something like Man United, yes, I could go to, I don't know, BBC Sport, for example, but they would have a very vague statement, you know, quite loosely written. Whereas stuff on this is written by passionate Manchester United fans, and, you know, mm. whether it's uh, kind of the, the uproar after European Super League, whether it's kind of transfers, whether it's our failure to win <laughs> any trophy last season, uh, you know, you, you kind of feel that it echoes your opinions and, and, and kind of the way that you feel. So that's why. Um, yeah, so the Athletic, the Athletic has, um, uh, they have regional journalists for each team um, so they'll have like a correspondent for a particular side. So they've got a couple of writers that are Newcastle United writers um, mm. specifically, and they've got a host um, based up in the Northeast. And um, yeah, on, on, on their subscription, you then also get Pod on the Tyne um, mm. ad, ad free, which is, again, yeah, it's, it's, they, they do speak your language. And I think there's that interesting thing that um, Benji talks about where he talks, he talks about commonality. When you've got mm. communities, you don't just have people who are interested in the same stuff. They tend to be, there's quite a lot more in common. And and when you talk about using your language, it's really interesting, right? Because over the last year, we've been deprived of human contact. Um, but what makes online communities really work is when you feel that there is that extra bit of connection that makes it feel genuine and makes it feel real and makes it feel meaningful which is exactly to Benji's point, and why, why they can drive, you can then drive value from these communities. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, if, when, when I was listening to Benji, I was thinking about it on Instagram. It's not like when you find something on Instagram, you follow it, right? You like it because um, you think, oh, the last few posts have been pretty cool or I like the pictures or whatever. And then more often than not, if anyone's like me, a few weeks or a month later when I somehow happen to be scrolling my timeline and I come across it and I think, why on earth am I following this? Like, and I'll unfollow it, right? Because I'm like, well, this is useless. And that's because there's no commonality at the time or at the moment, I've probably felt some sort of, you know, common theme with it. And I've got, oh yeah, you know, they're, it's a funny meme or they're talking about this or they're talking about that. So yeah, I like it. But really there's nothing in common. Whereas with the model that, disciple have and what Benji's got the commonality is that you are only there because of you know whatever that may be so it might be a club an association a movement you know um and if you're there the the, the most common thing is that you care more than to just like something in inverted commas on Instagram um and you want to invest your time um and obviously with time comes your kind of money or you know your your work and, and efforts and these sorts of things so yeah I think I think it's great I think it's a very very good idea um and like you said we've we've been deprived of that social interaction the first way that you will find something to talk about with someone is to find something in common right it's like going on a date right if you if, if you don't have anything in common that date's probably not going to last longer than yeah an hour 40, 30 minutes 40 minutes but the more and more things that you have in common, the more stuff you have to talk about. And in the same way, things like this, if you're talking 
um, about stuff in common, then that's what will help. Um, and also drive up that subscription because those people, no doubt, will have like-minded people in their network. They'll spread the word, and then that's how all those subscriptions and stuff. I'm guessing would go go um, go higher. Yeah, yeah. By the way, just um, a last point on this. Ten years ago, everyone with the same home screen. Ten years time, not the same. Kind of argue that even now, people's home screens probably look a little bit different. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Um, as you've said that, I've just tried to minimise you to see. <laughs> Having a look at your home screen. My... Yeah. I mean, I'm so my... it's like I've I've got I've got things like Strava on there and Garmin Connect, mm. and then obviously I've got I've got I've got the usual things like spotify and instagram um but i've got the athletic i've got the guardian i've got i've got um monzo there is there is more choice out there there is more that what your choices are who you connect to what it says about you right yeah 100 percent. I, I always think you can tell well not 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 maybe in black and white but it, a lot of your home screen maybe gives a lot of things away i think about um, you and you what you're into yeah yeah exactly i mean if i look at mine you've got i've got little folders with finance that's all my banking and the travel house utilities which is where i pay all my bills i tried to uh <laughs> and then away from that i've got all the all the old socials and yeah sports yeah i used to have little folders and and yeah. I, I in the end i was just like you know what i'm just gonna have i'm just gonna have my my favorite apps and i'll just use the app drawer you're you're an android guy aren't you That's i am you know. yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> so you've you've got all of that i'm uh i'm more the iphone mate so big tiles yeah, it doesn't... in front of my face <laughs> yeah swiping all the time nice thing about the app drawer it's all alphabetical easy hey we've got that as well but i don't know what it's called yeah. list. <laughs> app list. library here we are yeah app library anyway right um anyway yeah right Let's uh, go to a quick advert break and we'll be back in a second with a bit of news. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. A couple of weeks ago, um, my wife told me in a slightly panicked um, voice that she'd got a random phone call and was going to get an email because GCHQ, not GCHQ, sorry. Um, who are the lot that look at the, the, the inland revenue, whatever they're called. Yeah. Tax HMRC. People. Anyway, HMRC, that's it. HMRC. They were after her and they were going to arrest her. Oh. I was like, that sounds dodgy as fuck. There is no <laughs> way you're going to get a phone call from HMRC saying, we're going to arrest you out Hello? the blue. <laughs> Just to let you know, we're coming to arrest you. So if you could be ready between the hours of uh, no, no warning, yeah. no, no, like stuff through the post. No, no, we're yeah. just going to arrest you. And I was having a look through the news today, and it says here that ransomware is the biggest online threat to people in the UK. 
Okay, so GCSHQ said that ransomware represents the biggest threat to online security for most people and businesses in the UK, um, with most of the threat coming from the Soviet states. Um, so it gives basically it talks about the fact that ransomware incidents have soared over the past two years globally as criminal gangs operating for countries such as Russia, former Soviet states, um, turn there's a blind eye being turned to their activities. They're generating tens of millions of dollars by extorting uh, money. Um, in terms of companies, um, for example, in May, the U.S. oil network Colonial Pipeline was shut down after hackers obtained access to compromised password and forced the business to shut down for several days. Petrol prices jumped briefly amid panic buying, and the company paid $4.4 million to the hackers, a group called Darkside, um, to basically regain access to its systems. And yeah, it just kind of made me think of my wife getting that spurious, you're going to be arrested unless you click on this or whatever else, because... They are just scaring the shit out of people, you know, and that'll work. That'll work. Someone getting told that they're going to get arrested unless they have a look at something, they'll click on it. And all of a sudden, you're very vulnerable. You say that. Um, <clears throat> my mum had the same as well, actually, about... Really? I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to think about a month ago or, yeah, just over a month. And Was it actually um, HMRC? No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't. But <laughs> but the same No, but the same thing, right? So it was... Um, yeah. It was... I think uh, in April or May when they have to do the kind of tax returns and my mum, she works for herself and has her own kind of um, company set up. But anyway, they said, um, they said, oh, you know, you've um, you've not declared your accounts properly and, you know, all these sorts of things. Um, and also we're fining you £17,000. Um, and if you don't pay the fine, then we'll arrest you. And if you want, you can pay the fine right now. And mum was like, hang on, £17,000. So she's obviously rang me from work going, oh, this has happened, like, obviously knows that I'm, I'm in recruitment and is this true? Like, can people, can this happen? But I've done everything right. She's ringing her accountant. You know, she's obviously panicking. Now, the amount that they wanted, 17,000, is obviously a significant amount. But I said to my mum afterwards, after I'd kind of calmed her down, I said, mum, if they had said to you 1,000, 2,000, something like that, the fact that you were scared, you probably would have paid it. She went, yeah, probably, because I didn't know. At that moment, I was just, you know, panicked and nervous and that sort of thing, which then, that's how they probably get all their money, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, oh, man, yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And also, I think what you have now is you've you've probably got a lot of people um, with the tax uh, regulation and the tax changes, um, you know, that have come in recently with, kind of limited company and, and people who are sole traders and whatever and working on site as a, as a contractor, you've probably got a lot of people who would fall for it because, you know, HMRC is, is so-called reviewing everyone's kind of, um, you know, how much tax everyone's paid and these sorts of things. So, yeah, but the numbers there are crazy. Like, wow, horrible. And the thing, the other thing is, you know, getting away from that specific example, you know, just ransomware in general, you've got this issue that, um, as we've as we've said on this podcast, there's a lot of people online for the first time, or not for the first yeah. time, but there's there's a different generation of user who are using online services, um, you know, mm. Gen Gen X, Gen Y, the baby boomers are all online in the way they haven't been before, and they may well be at risk from this stuff because. They might not be as used to receiving a an email from an African prince. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or the like. 
yeah, those, those were my favourite. They were they were hilarious. I did like those. I don't get them anymore. Please send me, please send me X Y Z right now. Yeah, I'm. Your email address is one that can only save my life. Oh God. <laughs> anyway, people, serious note: ransomware. Yeah. Keep vigilant and don't fall to it. Don't fall prey yeah. to it. Right. Yeah. Keish, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure's been mine. That was a delay. Thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back on oh. Friday. <laughs> <laughs>